0: section 20 of the cambridge modern history volume 2 the reformation recording by pietrnater this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by pietrnater chapter 6 social revolution and catholic reaction in germany by a f pollard part 1 The most frequent and damaging charge levelled at Luther between 1520 and 1525 reproached him with being the apostle of revolution and anarchy, and predicted that his attacks on spiritual authority would develop into a campaign against civil order unless he were promptly suppressed. The indictment had been preferred in the Edict of Worms. It was echoed by the nuncio two years later at Nuremberg and it was the ground of the humanist revolt from his ranks. By his denunciations of princes in 1523 and 1524, as being for the most part the greatest fools or the greatest rogues on earth, by his application of the text, he hath put down the mighty from their seats, and by his assertion of the principle that human authority might be resisted when its mandates conflicted with the word of God, Luther had confirmed the suspicion there was enough truth in it to give point to murner's satire of luther as the champion of the bundschuch the leader of those who proclaimed that as christ had freed them all and all were children and heirs of one father all should share alike all be priests and gentlemen and pay rents and respect to no man the outbreak of the peasants war appeared to be an invincible corroboration of the charge and from that day to this it has been almost a commonplace with catholic historians that the reformation was the parent of the revolt it has been no less a point of honour with protestant writers and especially with germans to vindicate both the men and the movement from the taint of revolution the fact that the peasants adopted the lutheran phrases about brotherly love and christian liberty proves little for in a theological age it is difficult to express any movement except in theological terms and behind these common phrases there lay a radical divergence of aims and methods the gospel according to luther may have contained a message for villains and serfs but it did not proclaim the worldly redemption they sought and the motives of the peasants in fifteen twenty five were similar to those which had precipitated half a dozen local revolts before luther appeared on the scene Even in 1524, the earliest sets of articles propounded by the peasants contained no mention of religious reform. And yet the assertions that there was no connection between the Reformation and the peasants' revolt is as far from the truth as the statement that the one produced the other. The frequent association of religious and social movements excludes the theory of mere coincidence. What Tyler trod on the heels of Wycliffe? and Ziska on those of Hus, Ket appeared at the dawn of English Puritanism, and the levelers at its zenith. When one house is blown up, its neighbor is sure to be shaken, especially if both stand on the same foundation, and all government, whether civil or ecclesiastical, rests ultimately on the same basis. It is not reason, it is not law, still less is it force. It is mainly custom and habit without a voluntary and unreasoning adherence to custom and deference to authority all society and all government would be impossible and the disturbance of this habit in any one respect weakens the force of law and order in all when habit is broken reason and passion are called into play and it would be hard to say which is more fatal to human institutions the reformation had by an appeal to reason and passion destroyed the habit of unreasoning obedience to the papacy and less venerable institutions inevitably felt the shock this appeal against habit and custom was made to the peasant more directly than to any other class popular literature and popular art erected him into a sort of saviour of society In scores of dialogues he intervenes and confounds with his common sense the learning of doctors of law and theology, he knows as much of the scriptures as three Parsons and more, and in his typical embodiment, as Karsthans, he demolishes the arguments of Luther's antagonist Murner. He is the hero of nearly all contemporary pamphlets. With his hoe and his flail he will defend the gospel if it comes to fighting and even Luther himself, when seeking and had failed, sought to frighten princes and prelates with the peasant spectre. The peasant was the unknown factor of the situation. His power was incalculable, but it would not be exerted in favour of existing institutions, and when hard-pressed, the religious reformers were prepared, like Frankenstein, to call into existence a being over which their control was imperfect. The discontent of the peasantry in Germany, as in other countries of Europe, had been a painfully obvious fact for more than a generation, and since 1490 it had broken out in revolts in Elas, in the Netherlands, in Württemberg, at Kempten, at Bruxelles, and in Hungary. The device of the peasant's shoe, whence their league acquired the name Bundschuch, had been adopted as early as 1493, and again in 1502 and the electoral princes themselves had admitted that the common people were burdened with feudal services taxes ecclesiastical courts and other exactions which would eventually prove intolerable Hans Rosenblut complained before the end of the fifteenth century that the nobles were constantly demanding more and more from the peasant and the process of extortion did not slacken in the succeeding years the noble himself was feeling the weight of the economic revolution of the increase in prices and depression in agriculture, and he naturally sought to shift it from his own shoulders to those of his villains and serfs, that lowest substratum of society on which all burdens ultimately rest. He endeavoured to redress the relative depreciation in the value of land by increasing the amount of rent and services which he received from its tillers. Nor was this the only trouble in which the peasants were involved the evil of enclosures although it was felt in germany was not so prominent among their complaints as it was in england but their general distress produced two other symptoms one of which seems to have been peculiar to those districts of germany in which the revolt raged with the greatest fury in the southwest in the valleys of the taube and the Neckar, in the moselle and middle rhine districts the practice of subdividing land had proceeded so far that the ordinary holding of the peasant had shrunk to the quarter of a ploughland, and the effort to check this ruinous development only resulted in the creation of a landless agrarian proletariat. The other process, which was not confined to Germany, was the conversion of land into a speculative market for money. The financial embarrassments of the peasant rendered him an easy prey to the burgher capitalist, who lent him money on the security of his holding, the interest on which was often not forthcoming if the harvest failed or the plague attacked his cattle and the traffic in rents which inevitably bore hardly on the tenant was one of the somewhat numerous evils which luther at one time or another declared to be the ruin of the german nation besides these economic causes the growing influence of roman law affected the peasant even more than it had done the barons by it said the emperor maximilian the poor man either got no justice at all against the rich or it was so sharp and fine-pointed that it availed him nothing ignoring the fine distinctions of feudal law with respect to service it regarded the rendering of service as proof of servitude and everyone who was not entirely free sank in its eyes to a serf the policy of reducing tenants to this position was systematically pursued in many districts the abbots of kempton resorted not merely to the falsification of charters but to such abuse of their clerical powers as refusing the sacrament to those who denied their servitude and one of them defended his conduct on the ground that he was only doing as other lords it was in fact the lords and not the peasants who were the revolutionists the revolt was essentially reactionary the peasants demanded the restoration of their old heimgerichte and other courts the abolition of novel jurisdictions and new exactions of rent and service the movement was an attempt to revive the worn-out communal system of the middle ages and a socialist protest against the individualistic tendencies of the time the peasant's condition was fruitful soil for the seeds of a gospel of discontent the aristocratic humanist revival awoke no echoes in his breast but he found balm of gilead in luther's denunciations of merchants as usurers of lawyers as robbers and in his assertion of the worthlessness of all things compared with the word of god which peasants could understand better than priests more radical preachers supplied whatever was lacking in luther's doctrine to complete their exaltations karlstadt improved on luther's declaration that peasants knew more of the scriptures than learned doctors by affirming that they certainly knew more than luther peasants adopted with fervor the doctrine of universal priesthood and began themselves to preach and baptize chapeller announced at memmingen that heaven was open to peasants but closed to nobles and clergy but while this was heresy it was hardly sedition most of the preachers believed as luther did in the efficacy of the word and repudiated münzer's appeal to the sword and the promise of heaven hereafter might be expected to reconcile rather than to exasperate the peasant with his lot on earth yet it exerted an indirect stimulus for men do not rebel in despair but in hope and the spiritual hopes held out by the gospel produced that quickening of his mind without which the peasant would never have risen to end his temporal ills the outbreak in 1524 can only have caused surprise by its extent for that the peasant would rise was a common expectation almanacs and astrologers predicted the storm with remarkable accuracy Indeed, its mutterings had been heard for years, and in 1522 friends of the exiled Ulrich of Württemberg had discussed a plan for his restoration to the duchy by means of a peasant revolt. But the first step in the great movement was not due to Ulrich or to any other extraneous impulse. It was taken in June 1524 on the estates of Count Siegmund von Lupfen at Stulingen, some miles to the northwest of Schaffhausen there had already been a number of local disturbances elsewhere and the peasantry round Nuremberg had burned their tithes on the field but they had all been suppressed without difficulty the rising at stühlingen is traditionally reported to have been provoked by a whim of the countess von lupfen who insisted upon the count's tenants spending a holiday in collecting snail-shells on which she might wind her wool and this trivial reason had been remembered to the oblivion of the more weighty causes alleged by the peasants in their list of grievances. They complained of the enclosure of woods, the alienation of common lands, and the denial of their right to fish in streams. They were compelled, they said, to do all kinds of fieldwork for their lord and his steward, to assist at hunts, to draw ponds and streams without any regard to the necessities of their own avocations the lord's streams were diverted across their fields while water necessary for irrigating their meadows and turning their mills was cut off and their crops were ruined by huntsmen trampling them down they accused their lord of abusing his jurisdiction of inflicting intolerable punishments and of appropriating stolen goods and in short they declared that they could no longer look for justice at his hands or support their wives and families in face of his exactions These articles, which number 62 in all, are as remarkable for what they omit as for what they include. There is no trace of a religious element in them, no indication that their authors had ever heard of Luther or of the gospel. They are purely agrarian in character, their language is moderate, and, if the facts are stated correctly, their demands are extremely reasonable in its origin the peasant revolt bore few traces of the intellectual and physical violence which marked its later course it began like a trickling stream in the highlands as it flowed downward it was joined first by one and then by another revolutionary current till it united in one torrent all elements of disorder and threatened to inundate the whole of germany when once the movement had started it quickly gathered momentum a thousand tenants from the Stülingen district assembled with such arms as they could collect and chose as their captain hans muller of bulgenbach an old landsknecht who showed more talent for organization than most of the peasants leaders in august he made his way south to walshut probably with the object of obtaining the cooperation of the discontented proletariat in the towns the towns had been permeated with new religious ideas to an extent which was almost unknown in the country the upper classes by lutheranism the lower by notions of which karlstadt and münzer were the chief exponents waltzwood itself was in revolt against its austrian government which had initiated a savage persecution of heretics in the neighbourhood and demanded from the citizens the surrender of their preacher Baltasar hubmayer it was thus predisposed to favour the peasants' cause but the often repeated statement that muller in august fifteen twenty four succeeded in establishing an evangelical brotherhood is incorrect that scheme which probably emanated from the towns was not effected until the meeting at memmingen in the following february and the intervening winter elapsed without open conflict between the peasants and the authorities the archduke ferdinand's attention was absorbed by the momentous struggle then being waged in north italy and every available landsknecht had been sent to swell the armies of charles v the swabian league the only effective organization in south germany could muster but two thousand troops and recourse was had to negotiations at stockach which were not seriously meant on the part of the lords many of the peasants however returned home on the understanding that none but ancient services should be exacted but the lords thinking that the storm had blown over Resorted to their usual practices and made little endeavour to conclude the pourparlers at Stockach. As a result, the insurrection broke out afresh and was extended into a wider area. In October and November 1524, there were risings of the peasants all round the Lake of Constance, in the Algau, the kledgau the Hegau, the Turgau, and northwest of stühlingen at Wüllingen. Further to the east, on the Iller in Upper Swabia the tenants of the abbey of kempten who had long nursed grievances against their lords rose and in february fifteen twenty five assembled at Sonthofen. they declared that they would have no more lords a revolutionary demand which indicated that their treatment by the abbots had been worse than that of the lubfen tenants the peasants of the donau reed northwest of augsburg had been agitating throughout the winter and by the first week in february four thousand of them met at baltringen some miles to the north of biberach before the end of the month their numbers had risen to thirty thousand they were also joined by bands called the siehaufen from the northern shores of lake constance while hans Müller made an incursion into the breisgau and raised the peasants of the black forest as the rebellion extended its area the scope of its object grew wider and it assimilated revolutionary ideas distinct from the agrarian grievances which had originally prompted the rising a religious element began to obtrude and its presence was probably due to the fact that it supplied a convenient banner under which heterogeneous forces might fight zikingen had adopted a similar expedient to cloak the sectional aims of the knights and men now began to regard the revolt as a rising on behalf of the gospel In this light it was viewed by the neighboring city of Zürich, where Zwingli's influence was now all-powerful, and the Zürich government exhorted the Kledgau peasants to adopt the word of God as their banner. In conformity with this advice, they gave a religious color to their demands, and in January 1525 offered to grant their lord whatever was reasonable, godly, and Christian, if he, on his side, would undertake to abide by the word of God and righteousness so too the baltringen bands declared that they wished to create no disturbance but only desired that their grievances should be redressed in accord with godly justice and in the algau where the peasant hebelrin had preached and baptized the peasants formed themselves into a unquote, godly union on the other hand the lake bands with whom served some remnants of Ziklingen's host appear to have been more intent upon a political attack on lords and cities in march all these bodies held a sort of parliament at Memmingen, the chief town of upper swabia to concert a common basis of action and here the zürich influence carried the day Schapeller, zwingli's friend had been preaching at Memmingen on the iniquity of tithes and if he did not actually pen the famous twelve articles there formulated they were at least drawn up under his inspiration and that of his colleague Loza they embody ideas of wider import than are likely to have occurred to bands of peasants concerned with specific local grievances and throughout the movement it is obvious that while the peasants supplied the physical force and their hardships the real motive the intellectual inspiration came from the radical element in the towns this element was not so obvious at memmingen as it became later on and its chief effect there was to give a religious aspect to the revolt and to merge its local character in a universal appeal to the peasant, based on ideas of fraternal love and Christian liberty drawn from the gospel. This program was not adopted without some difference of opinion, in which the lake bands led the opposition, but the proposal of an evangelical brotherhood was accepted on March 7th, and the twelve articles, founded apparently upon a memorial previously presented by the people of Memmingen to their town council, were then drawn up the preamble repudiated the idea that the insurgents new gospel implied the extirpation of spiritual and temporal authority on the contrary they quoted texts to show that its essence was love peace patience and unity and that the aim of the peasants was that all men should live in accord with its precepts as means thereto they demanded that the choice of pastors should be vested in each community which should also have power to remove such as behaved unseemly The great tithes they were willing to pay, and they proposed measures for their collection and for the application of the surplus to the relief of the poor, and in case of necessity to the expenses of war or to meet the demands of the tax-gatherer. But the small tithes they would not pay, because God had created the beasts of the field as a free gift for the use of mankind. They would no longer be villains, because Christ had made all men free but they would gladly obey such authority as was elected and set over them, so it be by God appointed. They claimed the right to take ground game, fowls, and fish in flowing waters. They demanded the restoration of woods, meadows, and plowland to the community, the renunciation of new-fangled services, and payment of peasants for those which they rendered, the establishment of judicial rents, the even administration of justice and the abolition of death dues which ruined widows and orphans finally they required that all their grievances should be tested by the word of god if aught which they had demanded were proved to be contrary to scripture they agreed to give it up even though the demand had been granted and on the other hand they asked that their lords should submit to the same test and relinquish any privileges which might hereafter be shown to be inconsistent with the scriptures although they were not included in the present list of grievances. On the basis of these demands, negotiations were reopened with the Swabian League at Ulm, but they were not more successful or sincere than those at Stockach. The League rejected an offer of mediation made by the Council of Regency, which now sat with diminished prestige at Esslingen. And though the discussions were continued, they were only designed to give Truxes, the general of the League, time to gather his forces, even during the progress of the negotiations he had attacked and massacred unsuspecting bands of hegau peasants till his victorious progress was checked by the advent of a different foe ulrich the exiled duke of wurttemberg and his party constituted one of the discontented elements which were certain to rally to any revolutionary standard he had announced his intention of regaining his duchy with the help of spear or shoe or knights or peasants the former hope was quenched by seeking Eng's fall but as soon as the peasants rose ulrich began to cultivate their friendship in the autumn of fifteen twenty four from hohenfield of which he had recovered possession on the confines of the territory of his swiss protectors and of the disturbed hegau he established relations with the insurgents and took to signing his name utz the peasant in february fifteen twenty five he resolved to tempt his fate supported by ten thousand hired swiss infantry he crossed the border and invaded Württemberg. the civil and religious oppression of the austrian rule had to some extent wiped out the memory of ulrich's own harsh government and he was able to occupy ballingen herrenberg and zindelfingen without serious opposition and to lay siege to stuttgart on march ninth the news brought Truxes into Württemberg, but ulrich was on the eve of success when the tidings came of the battle of pavia february twenty four switzerland might need all her troops for her own defence and those serving under ulrich's banner were promptly summoned home there was nothing left for ulrich but fight so soon as truchses appeared on the scene and the restoration of austrian authority in wurtemberg enabled the general of the swabian league once more to turn his arms against the peasants but the respite short as it was had given the revolt time to spread in all directions and before the end of April, almost the whole of Germany, except the north and east, and Bavaria in the south, was in an uproar. From Upper Swabia the movement spread in March to the lower districts of the circle. Around Leipheim, on the Danube, to the northeast of Ulm, the peasants rose under a priest named Jacob Wehe, attacked Leipheim and Weissenhorn, and stormed the castle of Orgenburg, while a considerable portion of Truxes's troops sympathized with their cause and refused to serve against them. Even so, the remainder, consisting mostly of veterans returned from Pavia, were sufficient to crush the Leipheim contingent, whose incompetence and cowardice contrasted strongly with the behavior of the Swiss and Bohemian peasants in previous wars. They fled into Leipheim almost as soon as Truxes appeared, losing a third of their numbers in the retreat the town thereupon surrendered at discretion, and Jakob Veje was discovered hiding and executed outside the walls. Truxes now turned back to crush the contingents from the lake and the Hegau and the baltingen band, which had captured Walsee and was threatening his own castle at Waldburg. He defended the latter near Wurzach on April 13th, but was less successful with the former, who were entrenched near Weingarten. They were double the number of Truxes' troops, and after a distant cannonade the Swabian general consented to negotiate the peasants alarmed perhaps by the fate of their allies were induced to disband on the concession of some of their demands and the promise of an inquiry into the rest Truxes had every reason to be satisfied with this result for from all sides appeals were pouring in for help in the hegau radolfzell was besieged to the southeast, the cardinal archbishop of salzburg matthew lang was soon shut up in his castle by his subjects of the city and neighboring country, while the Archduke Ferdinand himself would not venture outside the walls of Innsbruck. Forty thousand peasants had risen in the Vorarlberg. Tyrol was in ferment from end to end, and in Styria Dietrichstein's Bohemian troops could not save him from defeat at the hands of the peasants. In the southwest, Hans Müller, the leader of the Stuhlingen force, moved through the Black Forest and raising the Breisgau villagers appeared before Freiburg. The fortress on the neighbouring Schlossberg was unable to protect the city, which admitted the peasants on may Elsass, twenty fourth. In Elsas, twenty thousand insurgents captured Zabern on may thirteenth, and made themselves master in Weissenburg and most of the other towns in the province. Colmar alone withstood their progress. Further north in the west, Rhine districts of the Palatinate, Lautenburg, Landau, and Neustadt fell into the rebels hands and on the east side of the river they carried all before them in the odenwald george metzler an innkeeper had raised the standard of revolt before the end of march and jeklin rochbach followed his example in the Neckarthal on the first of april florian geier headed the franconian rebels who gathered in the valley of the Tauber, and the austrian government in wurtemberg had barely got rid of ulrich when it was threatened by a more dangerous enemy in the peasants under matern Feuerbacher. Further north still, the Thuringian commons broke out under the lead of Thomas Münzel. So widespread a movement inevitably gathered into its net personalities and forces of every description. The bulk of the insurgents and some of their leaders were peasants, but willingly or unwillingly they received into their ranks criminals, priests, ex-officials, barons, and even some ruling princes. Florian was a knight more or less of zikingen's type who threw himself heart and soul into the peasant's cause goetz von berlichinger the hero of the Goethes drama known as goetz of the iron hand he had lost one hand in battle came from the same class in his memoirs he represents his complicity in the revolt as the result of compulsion But before there were any question of force, he had given vent to such sentiments as that the knights suffered as much from the prince's oppression as did the peasants, and his action was probably more voluntary than he afterwards cared to admit. The lower clergy, many of them drawn from the peasants, naturally sympathized with the class from which they sprang, and they had no cause to dislike a movement which aimed at a redistribution of the wealth of princes and bishops in some cases all the inmates of a monastery except the abbot willingly joined the insurgents some of the leaders were respectable innkeepers like matern feuerbacher but others were roisterers such as jeklein rohrbach and among their followers were many recruits from the criminal classes these baser elements often thrust aside the better and by their violence brought odium upon the whole movement the peasants had indeed contemplated the use of force from the beginning and those who refused to join the evangelical brotherhood were to be put under a ban, or in modern phraseology, subjected to a boycott. But the burning of castles and monasteries seems first to have been adopted in retaliation for Truxes' destruction of peasants' dwellings, and for the most part, the insurgents' misdeeds arose from a natural inability to resist the temptation of fish-ponds and wine cellars. End of section twenty